Reggae Uprising family and welcome to another episode. I hope these episodes are inspiring you to stay connected and keeping you up to date with the current coronavirus situation. As regular Reggae Uprising podcast listeners will know this show is normally recorded with face-to-face interviews but for obvious reasons at the moment my guests will be interviewed over the phone. With this in mind, please bear with me as the sound quality will not be what you're used to from this podcast. Now, remember, this podcast is every Wednesday. So if you want to be the first to hear it, please hit that subscribe button. You can also follow me on social media, Daniil Music, and keep up to date with my weekly videos, Reggae Uprising every Monday and High Vibes Friday, obviously, every Friday. I'll also put those links in the description for you. Now, all of my guests are asked to make seven reggae selections. So we're going to get started with today's first selection, which is Down by the River, Morgan Heritage. providing support and guidance for young people leaving the criminal justice system and managing a volunteer project working with families at risk in Brent. He has worked with Lee Jasper advocating for those affected by the Windrush scandal and runs summer workshops focusing on black history and self-development. He also has a Facebook group called a Pro Black UK, specifically addressing issues pertaining to black people in the UK, whilst all prom- also promoting black businesses. I would like to welcome Jean Michael Jordan. Greetings and welcome, Jean. Greetings, Danielle. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Are you well? I'm doing good. That's what I like to hear. Um, can you please um, let us know the reason for your first selection? 
Down by the River by Morgan's Heritage. It's just a really feel-good track. I know a lot of people are a bit, you know, going through it at the moment, maybe perhaps, you know, depressed or feeling quite anxious. And I think this song always kind of is, to me, is very inspirational. It just has a very positive vibe to it. Um, so I thought we'd start off with something really positive and uplifting. Love that, love that. Also, as I ask all my guests, um, as we're people of the diaspora, please can you let us know what is your heritage? My mother is from French Guyana and my dad is from Barbados and I'm born in the UK. Okay, so in terms of those two different cultures, was there a culture clash between your mum and dad or would you say the cultures no. are relatively the, the same? <laughs> or um, There's some differences there. Uh, my mother had a very strong French accent and grew up actually in France. Her father was a general in the in the French army. So mm-hmm. culturally, yeah, there's some differences there. My dad, he grew up in Barbados. He was from a very strict religious background. My mother wasn't. Um, and they met actually in Labrador Grove in Port Bella Market. Okay, so what made them both decide to come to the UK? How did that come about? Um, right, so my my father, he came... He got a job working for British Transport. That's the first thing he did. So it was, um, you know, uh, economics that brought him here. My mother was more of a free spirit who travelled around um, and was just, you know, holidaying. Um, she had family that were here already. She had a, bit, a sister that was here, an older sister was here. So, uh, yeah, those are the reasons why they were in the UK at that particular time. Okay, and what was it like for you growing up in, in London? Oh, wow. So um, <clears throat> I had quite an interesting upbringing. Um, my parents actually were Jehovah's Witnesses. So for those who may not be aware, that's quite a, a religious, very strict religious upbringing. Um, but I was, <laughs> I was very rebellious from a very early age. So I kind of broke free of that quite young, young in age psychologically more than physically. So at quite a young age, I started questioning a lot of the things that they were teaching. Um, Fortunately for me, I had parents who, although they were, you know, obviously wanting us, it was me, my brother and sister, um, you know, they wanted us to continue in their faith. I think they understood that you can't really force someone to kind of continue into a, a religion that they're not, abiding by mm. so it was kind of a smart move on their, on their part they didn't want the shame that I would bring on the family for living my life how I wanted to live it I, thought, I think they thought the best thing would be for me to kind of just go my own way and so I left home quite early um, mm. relationship with my parents has always been good though there wasn't any arguing or drama it was a very adult conversation and I left home. I think by the, by the time I was eighteen, I had left. Seventeen, eighteen. Um, um, initially, I got involved in electrical engineering. That was my first kind of career choice. You got involved in what? Sorry, electrical engineering. Okay. That was my first career choice, but I lasted for about two years before I realised I wanted to get into you know social work, um, and that's when I um, applied as a mature student the degree in history and sociology and I've worked for non-profits ever since. Okay, okay. What? So what was it like when you first moved out, like get, 
going out into the big wild world on your own? Was it everything that you <laughs> thought it was? Did you have any initial struggles that you're like, okay, this isn't as easy as I thought? Like, what were the hardest things to overcome? Yeah, it, it wasn't easy. Obviously, you know, economically, it wasn't easy. I had to immediately get part time work. Um, because at the time when I left, I was actually um, studying. I was in college, studying electrical engineering. Um, so I had to get part-time work. Um, I did share a flat with a childhood friend of mine who was a bit more, had a bit more of a <laughs> affluent background than I did. So that kind of helped. Um, but yeah, it was a struggle. You know, we both struggled to, to kind of make sure um, we had enough food to eat and, you know, make sure the rent was paid on time. Um, so I grew up really quickly. Um, and I think I got mature quite quick. A lot quicker than a lot of my, perhaps some of my um, siblings and friends who maybe were still at home. Right. So, scenes as you, you, know, you know, you've got two different cultures in your household. Were there any um, phrases that your mum or dad might say that when you were younger that you can remember? kind of said in your household if you can't hear you're gonna feel i think everyone's got that one it doesn't matter where you come from <laughs> that's what that's that was my uh, dad's one okay and my dad never used to my dad never used to hit us a lot but when he did it was a event an event oh wow okay so, um, <laughs> my dad was one of those one of those guys he would kind of very quiet laid-back person but um you know, if he tried his patience, the belt would come out. Okay. <laughs> so it definitely was that if you can't hear, you, you can feel things. So that was a quick and lesson then, to learn then. That got that got learned pretty quick then, that lesson. But there was another lesson he told us, which was the world that doesn't owe you a living. Okay. And that's something that I think has, has kind of stayed with me since then. He always, in our whole household, there was always this thing of, you are in, not in a, I wouldn't go as far as say enemy territory, but there was always that sense of, you're not going to get any, no one's going to give you anything here. Mm. Everything you're going to get here, you're going to have to earn it. Yeah. You have to work hard for it. You're going to have to um, be resilient. Right. And so that was the kind of, and that, that has definitely stood by, stood with me since then, and that's kind of um, shaped shaped me going growing up and i still i still have that sense i, ha I still have that mindset now okay okay yeah. and lastly before we get on to your next selection um can't do this and not talk about food like what is your what what is your food that you can remember growing up that you absolutely you used to absolutely love and if your mum or dad cooks it now you're like ah oh, childhood home <laughs> and then also i want to know like if you have like a family gathering like what are you asked to bring like if you got like a signature dish right so this is an interesting story because my mother grew up in a very non-traditional west indian family uh, her mother was from French Guyana and her dad was from Martinique, but she grew up in France. So they did have their own cultural dishes, but um, there was a, some European style foods in there as well from from the area that they grew up with in in France. Um, but when she met my dad, he was you know <laughs> a typical West Indian man. So I think she adapted and made what we call hard food for him. Right. Um, so what what would that be then? Like green banana, green banana, yam, dashin, that type of stuff. So 
um, dumpling. And I used to love it. You know, I love that food. I love dumpling. I love green banana. Um, yeah, I always see rice and peas and, and what, what's your signature dish then, if you have a family gathering? You know, I'll be honest with you, I'm not the best cook. I'm not going to pretend. Um, oh, I so did, you need to bring a bottle guy? I'm the bring a bottle guy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I, 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 I keep my, my cooking to myself. Okay. <laughs> Don't just think other people with that. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, we're going to move on to your next selection, which is Little Way Different by Errol Dunkley. Can you tell us why you chose that selection? Mm. So this kind of goes into, obviously we can't, I'm sure with this discussion we're going to touch on what's happening, you know, this whole lockdown, this virus, how it's implicating everyone. And um, for me, um, I'm, I, I think about what's going to happen after. And I think we're in a situation now where things are going to be very different going forward. And my advice is we're going to have to adapt to it. Being able to adapt to the situation is going to be, for some people, the, you know, not almost life and death in terms of income. We're going to have to learn how to, we're going to have to learn how to adapt to the current situations quickly because uh, the, the, the ways that you know, people are make, making money now, just the, your average nine-to-five income wages, as we can see how volatile that situation can get whenever there's any type of crisis, people are losing their jobs left, right, and center. So this song kind of just reflects how we do have to have, a, we may have to have a very different mindset and do things a little bit differently going forward. Okay, here we go That's with fine. A Little Way Different, Errol Donkey. the youth offending team in action right so okay so going back to when i was in electrical engineering what i did i've always had this sense of social consciousness from quite a young age um 
there was a quote that I read at a very young age that stuck with me, which was, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So I always had this sense of social consciousness that I didn't want to be someone that was just a statistic, someone that was just here to make someone else richer. I wanted to be in a position where I could actually impact the lives of others. And that was something that I had, that was with me from quite a young age. So as soon as I left uni, um, I started mentoring. I, I was volunteering while I was at uni for a charity. Um, and I was mentoring young children that were at risk of offending. And it's through the mentoring that I made links with the Youth Offending Service. And after I graduated, I um, was working for a charity who had a position within the Youth Offending Service, which was to basically develop a, a, main, a few a few different things for young for the young people that were coming into the um, facility. And one was to create a mentoring program for young children that were at risk of offending. And um, I was there for nine years. And in that nine years, I, I, that was probably one of the few things, that was one of the, one of many different things I did with that particular current group. And uh, the more I worked with them, I realized that there were just specific things you could introduce into a young person's life that potentially could see them move away from from that type of lifestyle. And what, what would those things be? Give us a, an insight. Well, one thing was, I realized that for a lot of young people, it, it's just a sense of, um, they don't see a future. They don't see, if you ask them their aspirations, they draw a blank. Um, if you ask them what they're going to be doing in two, three, four years, they draw a blank because they haven't got any sense of what the future brings. And if you have a young person who is in that frame of mind where they don't see a future for themselves, they are much more likely to get involved in quick money, quick uh, risk-taking behavior. So one of the things we used to introduce is to try and give them that vision. Say, look, I'm going to give you some short um, steps, short goals to achieve. And at the same time, you're painting a picture of potentially where those short goals can get. So, for example, if there was a learning issue there, if they were not performing well in school, I would try to encourage them to get back into education. Um, because getting back into education potentially would get you uh, qualifications. Getting qualifications may get you into specific types of employment. And once you, you drill that home for some young people and you make it a tangible uh, a goal, so you, you, you have to really paint it that, look, this is what you have to do. These are the steps you can take. And there is, you can, re you can reach um, your goal. And the way I would do that would be perhaps bringing, bringing into the scheme young people I knew that had made those steps and had achieved so I also introduced peer mentoring. And peer mentoring was probably one of the most um, powerful bits of work you could do with a young person. Because they get to see the physical manifestation of someone that's made, that's doing the things I'm asking them to do, if you understand. You know, they were saying to them, yes, I listened to, to John show. He gave me these, the, the, these steps to achieve. And this is what I'm doing now. 
And that was, to me, one of the most powerful things that I introduced for the young people that were at that youth offending team was that peer mentoring program. Um, deeper than that, there's a... You have to let young people... Well, I always say that for most young people, the reason why they behave in an antisocial way is because of low self-esteem. In fact, I believe that low self-esteem is the underlying underpins all issues in the black community. We can maybe speak about that. In, in your opinion, what is the reason for that? So, why, why do black people have low self-esteem? Is that what you're asking? But that, yeah, the, I'm asking for the reason why you believe what you just said, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, the reason why I believe that, and this ties into why you should tell young people about self-esteem. So, if you're in a society where Okay, let's let's just go on the basics of what is seen as the standard of beauty in the, in the European standard of beauty. Just just to suggest an example. So the European standard of beauty is quite clear. It's a certain phenotype, uh, certain skin complexion, certain hair texture, certain facial features. That's what's deemed as beautiful. Take those same attributes and give the opposite of each one of those. So, for example, if you've got light skin, the opposite is dark skin. If you've got straight hair, the opposite would be tightly curled hair. If you have thin features, the opposite would be thicker features. So, subconsciously, as black people, we're already being told that we're, if there's a standard of beauty, we're the standard of ugly. So, that's just one way that we're operating from that position of low self-esteem, because we are already entering a society where even now how we look is not deemed as being desirable or acceptable. As we get deeper now, we look at the justification for some of the atrocities that were committed against black people going way back in, into history, into slavery. They justify that behavior by labeling black people as uncivilized, as unintelligent. Um, that was originally put forward as justification for atrocities that were committed against us. Now, even though we're no longer under, you know, um, under slavery, that mindset still exists where we have now internalized some of those stereotypes. We've internalized that we are less intelligent. We've internalized that we are less capable, which is why, and that's reflected where you see entrepreneurship, for example. Black um, people are very underrepresented under when it comes to being entrepreneurs, because to be entrepreneurs, you have to have a very high regard of self. I am going to achieve. I am going to, regardless of what's in front of me, I'm going to overcome. Um, and I'm going to persevere. Now, unfortunately, because of the issues that we have gone through, that driving spirit is missing in us. So because it's missing in us, we're less likely to... It's reflected in statistics also, but we're less likely to to um, take risks when it comes to um, starting up businesses, um, 
putting our ideas into um, action. So all of that in our society feeds down to our young people. So they look around and they don't see the black entrepreneurs. They don't see black people achieving. And that in itself develops low self-esteem. So black people don't see the benefit of education. They don't see the benefit of being, you know, putting them, you know, really knuckling down when it comes to any type of academia. They don't see the benefits of it. And also, at a lower level, they don't feel valued enough. They don't feel that they are worth enough to, you know, to, they don't, they don't feel that society values them enough to give them the opportunity. So you don't feel that there's um, any black icons, any black business people, black people that are successful that people, um, other black people can look up to, the youth that can look up, look up to at all? They are, but there's very few. They are, but they're very few. You ask a young person to name them and you'll find out. We may be able to name some. You ask the average young person, what they may, um, what they may highlight is someone maybe in, in entertainment in business or sports, which is why you'll find that for many young people, that is, you know, that that's the, in their minds, their way out. That's their way to achieve success. It's through an occupation where less than one person is one one percent is successful. If you've got loads of people, loads of young people trying to gain success in a profession where for those that are embarking on it, less than one percent become successful. How many of those are going to end up being becoming disheartened? So yes, there are black people. There are black people that they do look up to in terms of people who've achieved wealth or status or success. But it's a very niche market. Entertainment is a very niche market, uh, as is sports, football, etc. Um, and that's why I always say to people that get involved, young people that get involved in music, you need to have a plan B and C. And unfortunately, for many of our young people, they don't have that plan B or C. So it's either music, and if it's not, if they don't achieve it through music, they unfortunately will fall into perhaps quick money, fast money. Okay. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to move on because otherwise we're going to run out of time for the rest of the questions and the rest fine. of the selections. But it's interesting. The things that you said are interesting. I might not agree with all of them, but it's interesting, interesting debate and I'm sure people will get involved. Um, we're going to move on to Stop the Fussing and Fighting by Dennis Brown. Why did you choose the selection? Again, this is a time for unity. Now, this is a time where, uh, as a community... I mean, this is a time for communities. This is a time for communities to be getting together. Um, a massive market of online sales are happening. And if we as a community had everything in order as, a, as in terms of the black community and had our um, priorities right, instead of fussing or fighting, we'd be supporting each other. And that's going to be, again, going forward, that's going to be extremely important. We're going to have to have each other's back. We're going to have to look out for each other. We're going to have to look out for our old people. We're going to have to look out for our young people. 
we can't be squabbling and fighting over petty nonsense going forward. Okay, here we go. We stop the fussing and fighting. Dennis. some of the strategies that you implemented to try and help you just, you just said a few of them 
Um, what did yeah. you feel were the most successful strategies? Um, for a lot of the, uh, the the families, they had a very bad relationship with the council, with social services. So what some of our volunteers and I would do would be try to bridge that. You know, just try to be a go, maybe become a, like a go between because um, for many families, social services are ultimately the, the ones that will come in and implement sanctions and ultimately will be the ones that will take the child away. So there was that kind of sense of, I don't trust them, I, you know, they're only here to take the kids away. Um, and obviously, in some cases, social services do sometimes act in a very heavy, you know, heavy handed manner. But in some instances, they actually are those who are uh, within social services who are there to help. So we would try to bridge that that gap and that would make a big difference. When some of the families started working with some of the social workers um, who could then implement some some things in terms of maybe provide helping them with childcare, helping the, the um, helping the, the parent to maybe access education, um, financial, sometimes there were benefits and stuff that the family were um, eligible for that weren't, they weren't getting. Um, to help with the tenancy sometimes, a lot of the families were at risk of losing their homes, so we would have people that would be intermediates between the family and you know uh, the council or the private landlords. Okay. Um, and all that kind of stability, trying to just have that stability with what would be what would be, you know, essential to keeping that family away from forever sanctions. Most definitely. Um, would Can you um, recommend any organisations that people, you know, who might be in that situation that they can reach out for help from? Um, if any, well, if a, in Brent, um, unfortunately, that project no longer exists for to support families. We do have an organisation called Voluntary Matters who run these, we call, they're called VSF programmes um, all around the UK. So I would definitely contact a charity called Voluntary Matters. Say that um, again, sorry? Volunteering Matters. Voluntary Matters, okay. okay. Volunteering Matters, yeah. That's good. Um, right, your next selection, Hard Times by Pablo Gad. Can you tell us why you chose this one? Again, it was just how I was feeling, just the feeling, just for how, how things are at the moment. We are in difficult times. We are in hard times. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just reflecting the mood, I guess. Um, although I did start with a very positive song, um, we can't acknowledge the fact that for some people, these are extremely hard times. You know, and these are unprecedented times as well. So that's kind of reflecting the mood. that. Okay, here we go.
tell us more. Yeah, I, knew, I met DiCastro years ago um, when he was um, advocating for the Stephen Lawrence family. Um, so I've kind of had a bit of an on and off relationship with, not on and off, I mean, I should say that that sounds like it. we fell out, no, in terms of just in terms of contact. But um, recently, um, again, I mean, a lot of it is through, you know, you mentioned my Facebook group, which I invited Lee to, to join. And uh, yeah, he did in turn invited me to become involved with the um, uh, the work that was happening on behalf of those that were suffering through that whole wind rush situation. So um, we set up some protests in and around, well, in London. Uh, we involved in quite a big one, which actually, um, uh, you know, we stopped traffic. We had quite a massive impact in terms of disruption in London. This was last year, summer. Um, and since then, um, we've been looking to try to get the Home Office to provide the accurate type of um, advice for compensation. So that's kind of, yeah, that's my kind of contact with Lee. But, you know, I see, I see Lee as one of those, one of those uh, very important figures that we have to have in the community. We have to have people that are prepared to stand up and speak up against injustice. Um, and and so I treasure people like that. I treasure anyone that has the kind of. It's very easy to just live a very standard life in this in, in the UK. Just go to work, you know, look after your family. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it takes sometimes. If we don't have people that are prepared to step out of that and do and you know advocate for others, advocate against injustice. We have to have people like that. If we don't, then you'll never get any type of change. You'll never get any kind of acknowledgement of wrongdoing. So I value people like that. And Lee is one of the people that definitely I put into that mold, and I value him and appreciate him for what he's doing. Most definitely. If people wanted to get involved with any of your um, the future marches that you are doing, how would they find you? How would they find Lee Jasper? Uh, well, Lee Jasper has his own Twitter account and Instagram, and he always puts up stuff, especially when it comes to uh, marches uh, and protests and stuff. And you mentioned the Problem UK Facebook group. Anyone can find that online and, and um, make a request to join. And you'll definitely get that information there as well. Okay. Um, just before we go on to your next selection, I just wanted to know, obviously we know that you've... Um, obviously done the protests and, and the marches for the, in terms of the wind rush. Um, wh what are your thoughts on the recent deportations that happened um, here in the UK? Yeah, I mean, we, we um, in fact, I was on my way to, there was a, a post that was being held outside of Downing Street and I was actually on my way to that and there was, a, for me, there was a massive storm that would hit us. So that kind of affected how, um, I wouldn't say I was successful about how much people attended that one, um, but yeah, that that was um, yeah that that was that was kind of connected to the whole wind rush situation, and it was a, it was there was a time when we actually thought that we had um, got got the flight got uh, we thought at one point the flight did get um, suspended, but then you know um, hours later we were told that the flight indeed did leave. And that was just um, just an example of. I mean, it's come out. I don't know if we read. There's been a report since, 
Um, Priti Patel has apologised and acknowledged there was racism involved in some of those decisions. So these are things that we were saying two years ago. We said that racism is underpinning a lot of these decisions. We were called, you know, we were people mocked us for saying that. But now we have the government coming forward and admitting that racism underpinned some of those decisions. So we were always right in terms of what we knew was going on. And that included those deportations. You know, that some of those deportations were not, um, you know, there was literally just, it was cruel, to be honest. A lot of those deportations were just an act of cruelness. And, um, yeah, there's other groups that have never been, wouldn't be treated like that and haven't been treated like that. So... For, yeah, for those people that obviously don't live in the UK, as we've got listeners from all over the world, can you give right. examples of, of you know, what you mean by when you say cruelty, things that have happened? Well, you had people who had committed minor offences, okay? They committed minor, minor offences, but because they were seen as criminals, they were deported. Um, regardless of the fact that it may have been a minor offence that happened years ago, as far as the government was concerned, that was grounds for deportation. So yes, there were some people that were returned who had committed serious crimes, but there were other people that were deported for, for you know, potentially, you know, we're talking about things like uh, maybe uh, um, being caught with possession of a drug of drugs, not even distribution. Um, people that may have may have been involved in fights or or assaults and stuff, which I'm not saying, you know, that they mind the crime, but in terms of the grounds for deportation, they are. And that's what was happening. You know, we're being deported for crimes that really didn't warrant that type of action. Hmm. Yeah. Um, we're going to move on to your next election, um, which is Fade Away. Why did you choose this one? This is actually becoming a popular choice. Um, it was actually played last week for somebody's selection. So why did you choose it? Ah, it's an interesting one. That Fade Away to me is it's, it's almost um, it's like a spiritual song, isn't it? It's really, there's some real, some real deep messages in that song where it talks about those who only seek certain things in life will ultimately not get to enjoy life. If your only, if your only uh, um, enjoyment is material material wealth or to seek to exploit other people or just you know just just to exist without trying to make others other people's existence better, ultimately the the universe doesn't really need. Doesn't really need you in that. In it really, you know, it, the universe needs people who are trying to heal people, who are trying to make the best out of bad situations, or to exploit, or just to make money. And that again, that was actually was part of the reasoning behind my lifestyle choices in terms of what I do for a living. So that's why that song is very um, means quite a lot to me. That song. Okay, here we go with fade away. You seek the only vanity and no love for humanity shall fade away, fade away. He who checks for only wealth and not for his physical health shall fade away, fade away. Though some 
lockdown in the UK um, as we've got listeners from all over the world can you tell them what it's like to be in lockdown in London oh, well I mean okay so I, I think that no, this, uh, yeah, I, I'm not a conspiracy I, don't, I try not to use the word conspiracy theorist but um, I, I don't I, I don't go with with all of the narratives that are put forward through the media. And in my opinion, this is just my opinion, um, I sense that this may be an overreaction. Um, I pay very close attention to language. And day by day, we're being told about people dying from coronaviruses. But it's COVID-19 is the actual disease that is killing people, so we're told. Therefore, when we're talking about the deaths due to coronaviruses, there are many coronaviruses that people die of. Monthly, people die of this. There's um, flus, all types of influences, influenza, uh, that's the right word, influenza, uh, you know, SARS, MERS, there's all types of coronaviruses. Um, so when people are talking about people dying from coronavirus, are we talking, I, would, I want to know how many people are actually dying from COVID-19. That would make more sense for that to be reported. Because if you're just talking about coronaviruses, you could be you could have that a number already that exists and that we're aware of. And a certain percentage, are more, there's more deaths to, a, to a, a new strain of a coronavirus. Now, that would make sense, but then you could, because then if you're, if that's what you're looking for, you can people will be clear about where they stand. At the moment, there just seems to be this panic and fear, and people are all over the place and say, I have a coronavirus, this person has a coronavirus. They said Prince Charles had a coronavirus. Prince Charles got better in a week. That means he did have a coronavirus. He had the cold, a common cold, which is the coronavirus. So there's a lot of uh, uh, use of language, which to me seems to be very manipulative and it's inducing fear. And so living in this climate of fear, we're seeing people, a lot of people's true nature come out. We're seeing people fighting over toilet paper. We're seeing um, 
people snitching on people for being alone in fields because of the social isolation. It, to me, it's really showing a lot of people's true nature and how easy people are manipulated. Um, and that quickness to be manipulated, I, I, in my opinion, would be used against them very soon because I believe there's some very draconian measures draconian measures that are coming down the pipeline that will be far more impactful than this COVID-19. What do you mean when you say that? Uh, well, th- let's look at what we already is being... Um, this, I mean, this, this, let's look at the... Okay, there are people that are familiar with terms like New World Order and things like that. And these are usually left to conspiracy theorists and tinfoil hat type people. Those are usually the people that get, that, are, that usually are, are associated with that, that word, New World Order. However, when you read the tenets of a New World Order, these are things that are being articulated in mainstream media by, by politicians. So one, for example, is mass mandatory vaccinations. That was once considered a conspiracy theory that they would try to get a sole mandatory that's going to be against the law not to be vaccinated. Now we're here in Denmark. They've made it the law that in Denmark, once the vaccination is come, comes up for this COVID-19, it's going to be against the law if you don't take it. That has mass implications for society when you in, introduce mandatory vaccinations. Because what you need to think of, if it's mandatory to take a vaccination, that means by law, those who don't take it will by default be criminals because they're breaking the law. And we know what happens to criminals. They get penalized and many go to jail. That could have massive implications for society if suddenly people become criminalized because they don't want to take the vaccinations. We also have this idea of um, UBIs, or people being given the same amount of money by the government I don't know if you've heard about that. The government have introduced, well, some people are talking about introducing money, just giving the populace money every month. Um, and, and that's come forward. Some politicians have been advocating for that. Again, when you have uh, a populace, that, that's getting rid of that first start, that gets rid of the middle class. And we already see the middle class being wiped out through this lack of businesses being destroyed. Then you're going to be left with a rich, poor society. And if this money, if the money is being given by the government, by default, you have become. I wouldn't say the word the slave to the government, but you're 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 relying on the government for everything. And so that's one of the things that have come that's come forward, which is again, if you look at these old conspiracy theories, people used to say that was going to happen, but now we have we openly have politicians talking about it. And then the, the the last one is what Gordon Brown came up with last week. Gordon Brown did an article where he said we're going to need one world government to tackle this potentially. If people don't believe it; they can look this up. Gordon Brown said this two weeks ago. We will need a, we may need a one world government. Now again, for those who are familiar with conspiracy theories, especially in the world order conspiracy theory, that's one of the chief things that comes up that the plan is to introduce some type of global governance. And we can talk about the mass surveillance. We can see that while we're all tucked away at home, they're building these 5G masks all over the place. 
Now, who is that essential work for? Because we've been told only essential workers are supposed to go outside. Now, you've got people all over London putting up 5G masks. That's not essential work. It is essential, but not for us. It's essential for, for other groups. Now, why do they want this 5G? Why do they want 5G all over the, the UK? Uh, that's what people should be asking. I'm not going to go into it now because we'll, we'll, we'll be up with the time. But these are the questions that people should be asking themselves. Why are 5G masks going up now at this particular point in history while we are all at home and being told that only essential work should be done? Wow, 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 wow. You've thrown up some interesting um, interesting um, debates right there and I would love to go into them deeper, but um, we're running out of time. time yeah. I need to get in your other two selections. So your next one is Babylon I Use Them Brain by Sizzler featuring Capleton. Why did you pick this one? It just goes into exactly what I've been saying. There's a part in that song where he talks about the mark of the beast. <laughs> and that is what actually... what. What, what covers, I mean, again, one of the things that people have been talking about and politicians have been talking about are, is microchipping. This vaccination that's coming, and if it's mandatory, how are they going to check? Um, it could be, you know, the vaccination could go hand in hand with, with RFID chips, which are going to be a way of monitoring people to access whether or not they've had the vaccine. It could tie in with this monetary it's digital currency that's being put forward as well. So it's interesting. That's actually mentioned in that song. It talks about the mark of the beast. Okay, here we go with Babylon. I use them brain. Sizzler featuring Capleton. Babylon, use them brain. Show them how to get to use them figure down the drain. Babylon, use them brain. The mark of the beast, the whole of them are broken. Babylon, them all the fight against German and my shipping cocaine. Pamelana, use them bread. But them cannot say that my demaga burning up. Oh, what a honey and oh, what a shame. To see my black brother going right down the train. Man made to suffer and old man to feel pain. The bread, my mommy, my sister, I say, oh, what a shame. Bread and my father fish up sugar cane. Find the plantation and that chase and shame. Find the man, and them put the just the shuckles and chain. Now them take it off and put it on them brain. To the mommy nation, figure down the train. Now the youth, they realize the show, they highly. we are coming to the end it's been a very interesting and insightful interview um thank you for coming along but i've just got one last question before we play your last selection and we finish the interview so what are your words of positivity and hope that you would like to leave the reggae uprising family with to help them throughout the testing weeks ahead i would say for a start as a as black people we have been through We've been through, our ancestors have been through this. 
I believe that we get strength from our, from our ancestors. I think that we have the spirit, there's lineage there, and we have that spirit that they had. And we know what they went through is nothing compared to what we're going through now. Okay? And that resilience, we're the most resilient people on the planet. And whatever they bring, whatever measures they bring forward, we will overcome it because that's our that's within our DNA to overcome tyranny. We're the people we're we're the ones that have faced the most tyranny and we're still here. So I would say to people not to worry too much about what's coming. We'll we'll get through it. Okay. We'll be here. We were here at the beginning and we'll be here at the end. Okay. And your final selection is If Jab by Tony Rebel. Why did you choose this one? Again, we are spiritual people. And if we do have that, if we do tap into our, our, our spiritual side, um, whatever God's people, I mean, Jah is, 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 um, represents the Most High. And if we tap into that, if we tap into that spiritual side of ourselves, I think we can. We can get a lot of strength from that. And that may be what, what, we, miss, what we have been missing up to this point. Okay. Thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you for, you know, sharing your life, your insights, you know, your knowledge and overstanding with all of us. I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. You're more than welcome. I'm going to leave you with the sound of Tony Rebel. Um, blessed love to everyone, as always. Stay safe. Stay safe. <laughs> stay safe. Stay strong and stay loving. As always, blessed love. If Jai is by my side, I won't hide. No, I won't hide. Boom, boom. If Jah is standing by my side, then why should I be afraid of a pestle?